Genesis chapter 8. In chapter 6, through the breakdown of the home, the world had become corrupt and filled with violence. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it grieved God at his heart. But sin had to be dealt with. God decided the time for striving was over. Men had chance to get their hearts right and they refused. And the time to destroy man had arrived. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He sought God. He walked with God. And as a result of Noah having a relationship with God, he and his family were permitted to get on board the ark. God told them to build. Time of God's wrath arrived. God secured Noah and his family, the animals that he had led to the ark, safely aboard. Once all were sealed into the ark, God poured out his wrath upon an ungodly world in the form of a global flood. He broke up the fountains of the great deep, opened the windows of heaven, caused the rains to fall. Everything with the breath of life upon land died. And for five months the waters prevailed upon the earth. And this brings us back to chapter 8, where last week we considered God's turning point. We see that introduced to us by the phrase in verse 1 of chapter 8, and God remembered Noah. This doesn't mean God forgot about Noah. It actually means God had never forgot about Noah. If that confuses you, listen to last week's message. At least the first few minutes. You can skip all the rest. I don't have time to recap all of that. But the bottom line is God cannot forget His own. The root word for remember in Hebrew, it means to mark. It is something stamped. Noah was imprinted on God's mind. Remember Isaiah 49, 15, and 16. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee? Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Then we covered how when the Bible says God remembers, it's a statement of God is about to do something. God is at a turning point. God stopped the fountains of the deep. He shut off the windows of heaven. He restrained the rains. He brought a merciful wind and the waters began to recede. In verse 3, we saw the waters returned off the earth Continually. In verse 5, the waters decrease continually. And I concluded last week by relating this slow abating of the waters to the storms of life that we go through. We all go through storms, but I want you to remember you are never forgotten by God. God is always at work. Even if we don't see it, recognize it, He is at work. We may not understand all that God is up to, so we need to be slow to speak and quick to hear. God is never in a hurry, <laughs> but His timing's perfect. 
He's not bound by your timetable. So don't give up through the storms. They're for our good and God's glory. Stay faithful, stay in tune with God through it all. Always trust He knows what's best for you. As we begin today, I'm debating on what to read, even still. Amen. I have in my notes here verses 4 through 14, but let's read verses 1 through 6. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month and on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. And the tenth month... On the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. How far did I say we were going? Let's go to five. <laughs> Listen, this was a hard one to prepare. I told Brother Long, I, I did not think I had God's message until that choir special. This is for somebody today. I'm t- the first half, maybe not. When we get to the second half, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Every song today was right in line with the message. God's so good. So after five months of the water prevailing upon the earth, the ark has finally come to rest. It's still going to be a little over seven months until they disembark. (laughs) We're told in verse 4, the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day. I want to begin today by making a correction to something I believe I said last week. I think I said that this seven months, 17 days, it would be another two months and 17 days Uh, after the initial 150 days of the waters prevailing upon the earth. But I was so focused on the waters prevailing for five months that when I read two months and 17 days, I just added that to the five months. But that's the dangers of doing impromptu public math. Amen? You just, oh yeah, there it is. That makes sense. No. When verse 4 says the ark rested on the seventh month of the 17th day, this is to be understood from the beginning of the flood. And so... We're told in Genesis 7:11 that it was the 600th year, uh, 600th year of Noah's life in the second month in the 17th day. Therefore, these five months of the waters prevailing upon the earth go from the beginning of the flood until the ark rested again in verse four, not seven months. And anyway, I, listen, I confused myself trying to correct myself, and then I did all the math, and I was even more confused. I'm not an actuary, brother. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I just know that um, I think we're on track now. I think. <laughs> so the ark rests in verse 4. That's what we need to know. And for centuries, they've been doing expeditions trying to find the ark. Yep, you can go online and research it. There's um, expeditions documented back in the, the B.C. era. People looking for the ark. I don't know why I got hung up on this, but... The Bible here, it it never says where specifically. Most people focus on the mountain uh, of Ararat, uh, that mountain peak in far eastern Turkey. It's almost in Armenia. And yet the Bible doesn't say a specific mountain top. It mentions a mountain range. It says the mountains, plural, of Ararat. And so people can look all they want on Mount Ararat. It may not be there. And it could be anywhere within the mountains of, of Ararat. You say, where's that? It's all over the place over there. So I'm of the opinion, we're getting specific today. I'm of the opinion it's not going to be found. 
And for starters, if I spend decades building something like an ark, I think if I got off of that ark, I'd probably repurpose as much of it as I could. Right? Does that make sense to you? Listen, the earth's been destroyed. There's not a whole lot of mature trees uh, around. And so it makes sense to me, you just cut the thing up and use it. You know, go build you a house, shim. The ark's right there, just cut some wood off of it, shut up. I don't know why Shim would be the bad guy, but we'll go with Ham. Not to mention, it'd be great for fires. And if Noah had a temperament like me, I'd be like, get the gasoline. We're torching this bad boy now that we're off of it. (laughs) Done. But also, wooden structures generally don't last 4,500 years. In fact, the oldest wooden building in the world is a Buddhist temple in Japan which was first built in 607. It is said it burned down in 670 from a lightning strike and they rebuilt. But I'm sure a lot of work has gone into preserving that original structure, um, if it even is totally original anymore. But eventually the ark would have decayed and just slowly disappeared if they didn't do anything with it. Not to mention, and this is where I kind of got hung up for some reason, God doesn't operate through artifacts to prove His existence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. God works through the power of His Word. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. To believe in God, it takes faith in God's Word. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. See, many people want something tangible in order to believe. Something they can hold, something they can see. And they'll say things like, I'll believe it when I see it. I think it was a couple years ago now, we, our theme for the year was believe to see. You don't see to believe, you believe to see. And, but people want to see it in order to believe it, but those people are no different than the first century religious Jews that required a sign, as Paul wrote about. Some Pharisees and Sadducees, you remember they came to Jesus in Matthew 16 and they were tempting Him. And they were desiring, the Bible says, that He would show them a sign from heaven. Jesus said, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Those religious elites said to Jesus on the cross, let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They wanted a sign over faith. And how did that work out for them? Not too good. Their city and sanctuary was destroyed in 70 A.D. They fell by the edge of the sword. The survivors were led captive into all nations. And if you're waiting for a sign, if you're waiting for some discovery to believe the gospel, then prepare to be disappointed. Amen. Don't expect your fate to be any different than that of first century Jerusalem. If you don't have faith in Christ, then you're going to continue to be held captive by the devil. And your day of destruction for rejecting God is at hand. You see, it's not about signs, it's about God's Word. The rich man in hell, remember, he he cried out to Abraham that he would send Lazarus, the beggar, uh, to his five brothers that he would warn them. He said, lest they also come into this place of torment. But do you remember how Abraham replied? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The rich man pleaded, if one went unto him from the dead... They will repent. And Abraham said in Luke 16, 31, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. 
You see, the rich man in hell wanted his brothers to see this sign. In order for them to believe, if you would just send Lazarus, they would believe. Abraham made it clear, you've got to believe in the Word of God. Amen? And so it wasn't, their repentance wasn't dependent upon them seeing this miracle of somebody coming back from the dead, but it was them understanding Moses and the prophets, the Word of God. Now, I think it'd be neat if they found the ark. I'd like to go play around in that thing for a little bit. Even if it was found, it's only going to strengthen the faith of believers. It's not really going to do much for the lost. People would find ways to explain away the Bible, reject God. It was happening before the flood. It's happened throughout history. It's still happening today. Even when Jesus was on the earth performing His public ministry, going about healing people just as the prophet Isaiah foretold the Messiah would do, though the religious leaders saw it, they still rejected Him. They even said at the cross, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. We've seen Him save others. We know He can. And it's no different today. Even though all of nature, right, undeniably points to a Creator, and, and geology points to a global flood, the masses are choosing to believe evolution over creationism. Why? It has nothing to do with proof. There is no proof of evolution. You say, where's the proof of creation? Aha. That's my point. They're both of faith. They're both of faith. And so everything points to it, but people reject it. And listen, this all goes beyond just an acknowledgement of God's existence. It's great if you acknowledge God exists, but that doesn't save you. If people acknowledge that God's Word is true, then they have to deal with things like sin and hell, their need of a Savior, and that's the real issue. Am I really a sinner so wicked that the righteous living God, my Creator, would actually humble Himself, robe Himself in flesh, come to earth to die for me? Just so I could be saved. That requires faith. There is no sign. There's one I'll get to in a minute. It requires faith. That's why most people I deal with who grew up in church, but they want to go on to live a life of sin... You with me? They're at, that, they're at that point. Do I follow God? Do I buy the truth? Or do I go do my own thing and live in sin? As you deal with folks like that, they usually go with the, I'm struggling if God is real routine. Why? Because if you can convince yourself that God isn't real, you can go on in your backsliding because there's no consequences. And you can go on to live any old way you please. How, listen, if God isn't real, then all you got to do is say, this book ain't real. It's written by man. It's, it's, it's archaic. It's outdated. It, it's got errors in it. There's contradictions. And, and we don't even know who actually wrote it. And, and next thing you know, you're down a path of you can do whatever you want. Because everything that you learned in church is now up for debate. Now, if you happen to be one in search of a sign, i got good news for you. Jesus said, I'll give you one. I'll give you the sign of the resurrection. That was the sign He said He would give. So if you're looking for a sign, examine the resurrection. Examine it. I'm not going to tell you what to examine, but dig. I promise you, you'll come to the right conclusion. Listen, I I didn't want to get hung up here on this artifact over faith thing, but but the bottom line is, if you truly seek Him with all your heart, you'll find Him. 
He's promised that. You don't need signs. You don't need artifacts. Let's move on. Verse 4, the ark rested. This is now the third time we've seen the word rested in, in Genesis and God's Word. Really, it's the second time because the first two occur in the same exact context. We see here that the ark rested in, in, chapters, in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. We read of God resting after He finished creation. He rested on the seventh day. And just as God finished His work of creation, what we find here in chapter 8 is that God is now finished with His work of destroying the earth. It's completed. There's nothing to add. You with me? When God finished creation, it was complete. God has designed creation in such a way He no longer has to create in that He's allowed procreation. You with me? And, and so the animals are out there procreating. The, the trees are doing their thing. And, and we have this continuing process. But God rested. And now following this five-month period of, of God's judgment of the earth, God's work is now done. The time of judgment is over. It's complete. This is a great picture of Christ. Remember, the ark is a type or it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say on the cross in John 19.30 after He bore our sins? Just before He bowed His head and gave up the ghost, the Bible says, He said, It is finished. That's what the choir just sang. It is finished. Listen, I, I, got, so, I got so excited during the song service that not only did the choir sing that, but in one of these hymns here, The Wonderful Story of Love, Jesus provides a rest. And then the other one, there's a place of constant rest. Lisa's saying day by day, and that's mingling toil and rest. And we're going to get to that topic here in a minute. And, and so Jesus on the cross, He says, it is finished. What happened? Jesus' work of paying our sin debt or the sin debt of the world was now over. It, it, it's complete. Sin has been judged. And, and there's nothing more to add. It's finished. You can't add to it if you wanted to. There's no way we can look at sin being paid for and somehow try to say it's still being paid for. It's not. It's done. God is done with creation. God was done in judging the earth with a flood. And God is done with paying for your sins. The Greek word for the phrase, it is finished, it's an accounting term and it means that a debt has been terminated. I want to go back through John again, Ken. Uh, it means completed. What, what it really means is this. Paid in full. It is finished. And it's in the perfect tense, Pastor DeGarmo. Which means it's a one-time, completed action with ongoing results. So what does that mean? It means salvation has been paid for. The payment is complete. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. And even though the sin of the world has been paid for and completed some 2,000 years ago, it still has ongoing results for whosoever will receive God's free gift of salvation through Christ. God's wrath was appeased in the flood. God's wrath was appeased in Christ's sacrifice for those who will accept Christ as their Savior. And if you're in Christ, if you've been born again, then the judgment for your sins is fully complete. Now, now hear me well. I didn't say there's no consequences. 
there's still consequences, but I'm telling you this, that that sin's been paid for. He bore your sins on the cross once for all. That's all it took. Hebrews 9.12, But by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 9.26, But now once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Hebrews 10.10, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10.14, For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And the end of Hebrews 10.26 says, There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. It's done. There's no other option. The sacrifice has been made. It's either Christ's complete sacrifice or there's no forgiveness. Now, this, this is where I wanted to go with this. After Christ gave His life a ransom for many, what happened? He rose again the third day and He entered into His rest. He's still working as our high priest. But He entered into His rest in the sense that sins are paid for. It's done. Everybody with me? And so Christ has entered into His rest. The ark of Christ rested, if you will. Redemption's price has been paid in full. Hebrews 10.12 But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is great theology, but what does this have to do with me? Listen, this is why it's so important for us. I want you to get Hebrews 4, verses 9 and 10. We should have just went to Hebrews this morning. Amen. Uh, it's every coffee drinker's favorite book. Hebrews. Okay. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his works, as God did from his. There are religions who say they believe in Christ's sacrificial death, but they only teach that Jesus paid for a portion of your redemption. And they may not put it in those words, but they'll tell you, now you have to do something. Right? I heard this illustration that I liked, and I think it may help for some. If you're in a position where you believe God had paid for lunch, but you have to kick in the tip, in order to make yourself right with God, then you don't understand God's rest. You have to learn the phrase, paid in full. And I want you to get this because there is a huge difference between religion and a relationship with Christ through the grace of God. Religion believes that somehow you have to come up with the remaining balance of your bill, so to speak. That you have to kick in your 10 or 20%. Man, I went somewhere the other day and now they're telling you you can click on 30% for their tip. Good gracious, what happened? I don't get out enough, amen? I'm like, 30%, good night. Uh, I, thought he'd, I thought 10% was pretty good. Uh, listen, there, there are millions of people, millions that are trapped in religion. And they've never learned to rest in God's finished work. They believe that somehow they have to do enough good works that it might outweigh their bad. Maybe they have to repeat a certain amount of prayers, a certain prayer. Be baptized in a certain church or even pay a certain amount of money. And people will end up spending their whole life wondering if they're ever good enough to earn God's salvation. And all they can say is, I sure hope it all works out in the end. 
and that God will smile upon me. What's happening? They're being robbed of their assurance. They're, they're being robbed of their rest. God's rest. All of that doubt, all of that worry goes away once you understand it is finished. Once you understand completion, once you understand paid in full, then you understand enough to enter into God's rest. You see, God's Word shoots down man's religions. The Bible's clear. It's 100% Christ, 0% man. It's a free gift of God's grace. We aren't responsible for 20%. Listen, the Bible is not God's book instructing mankind on what they must do to get to God. But it is about how God made a way for us to get to Him. Are are you with me on what I'm trying to say there? Uh, Listen, it it isn't about us climbing our way up to God, but it is about God coming down to us. It isn't about how far we can reach up to God, but it's how far He can reach down to us. You don't have to go through life hoping you're good enough to be saved. (laughs) You're not. But you can know for sure that you're saved. You've heard it said before, but we don't have a hope-so salvation. We have a no-so salvation. So what does that mean? It means I know that I'm saved. I say, boy, that's bold. It's only bold because of Christ. There's nothing good in Gary Brooks. I don't even like the name. At least the first name, amen, Gary Dawson. He loves it. I'm just not on board with it yet. I, I told him, you, you go to enough corny stores, you finally find a Cracker Barrel that says Gary means mighty warrior, tip of the spear. Oh, yeah, I got a cool name. What what am I doing? (laughs) Listen, we we can know. You you say, well, how can you know? Because it is finished. Christ has entered into His rest. He's not dying anymore for you. He's not doing anything else for your sins. They've They've been paid for. This is why the Apostle Paul could write in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, and I say, Willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He didn't say, man, when I'm absent from the body, I hope that I'll be present with the Lord. I know that I'm going to be present with the Lord. A Christian who has entered into God's rest can look death in the face and say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. God rested after creation. The ark rested after God's judgment. Jesus rested after He paid our sin debt. And now we can have rest. We can have rest that we are saved from our sins. Hebrews 4.3 For we which have believed do enter into rest. We cease from our labors. Do you hear what I'm saying? We, We cease from our own wisdom. But we trust in the finished work of Christ. We trust in God's wisdom. We learn to rest. Sin has been judged. Rest. You can't add to God's salvation. Rest. You can't take away from God's salvation. Rest. You can't be good enough. Just rest in that. Someone may be wondering, well, does this mean that I don't ever have to serve God? The answer is no. Once the truth of God's... The answer is no, you still have to work. But once the truth of God's rest is understood, listen to me, I shouldn't say you have to work, one will choose to work, 
Because now they understand how good God has been to them. If you enter into God's rest, you'll cease from serving God out of fear. We got some here like that. If I don't make it to church, God's going to smite me. If I don't get my tithe into the, the, the box in the back on, the, on this day of the week, God's going to be mad at me. No, 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 listen. We, we have to learn to rest. I, I'm not here out of fear today. Amen. I often use the illustration about not serving Him out of fear, but serving Him out of love. I go back to my childhood and I think about growing up with my dad, who might as well had a drill instructor hat on and... You know what I'm saying? Man, I would serve him out of fear. He put the fear of God in. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even today, it's a little sketchy. It's like, I know you're 79. I know you're getting shorter. But I still am afraid he could bend me over and make me grab my ankles. But you know what? Something happened. There came a point when I started to serve my father because I loved him. Are you with me? It, it was no longer that I was afraid of him. But I started to respect and to love and to understand all that he was doing in my life was to bring me to a better me. And so I started to serve him out of love. Out of a grateful heart. I can see this now in a marriage relationship, not necessarily ours, but uh, <laughs> a husband and wife should not serve each other out of fear. Isn't that right? We ought to serve each other out of love because we're to be a picture of Christ in the church. And Christ serves us in love and we're to serve Him in love. And, and what I'm telling you is religions, they cause people to never find rest for their soul. They never enter rest. They have to live in fear of appeasing their God. That it will all work out in the end. That, I've, that somehow I've done enough. And, and, but I want to tell you, I don't have to get up here and, and put the fear in you in order to get you here. You know, there's a lot of people here, they're just serving God through this local church because they have entered into rest. They understand Christ already paid it all. And, and now it's just our reasonable service. That's why I serve them. You say, no, you just want to only work two days a week. No, l listen, it's, it's much more than that. <laughs> Boy, that went over bad, didn't it? Um, listen, in case you're wondering, I work like nine days a week, okay? And, and so, um, <laughs> just trying to lighten it up. I, I don't have to twist your arm is what I'm saying. There'll be people at the press Monday night. There's people teaching Sunday school. There's people driving the buses. There's people going to the jail and the nursing homes and uh, there's people singing and playing and serving and I've never beat anybody up to do that. Are you with me? Amen. Say, why? It's God's church, Amen. number one. But it's because people have entered into rest and they say, I want to do this because I love God. Amen. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Have you entered into God's rest? You may not have the year, the month, the day written down, the location like we see here in verse 4. 
But somewhere in your mind's eye, you ought to be able to go back and recall the time that you gave your heart to Christ. I'm not willing to play with eternity and say, well, I think I did. If you have not entered into God's rest, you're missing out. Maybe you need to be saved this morning. Maybe you've never come to Christ. You don't understand rest. You're still worried. You can't, you can't lay your head down at night and know for sure you're going to heaven. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe some of you in Christ just need to learn to give up. Just, just stop thinking that it's up to you. Maybe you need to stop trying to be in control. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and what, what's he going to do? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest for your souls. I want to tell you, there's no greater peace than just resting in Christ. I know it's taken care of. I know it's been paid. That's not a license to sin. I just know that my Savior paid it all. So if you're not in Christ, we invite you to come to know Him today. And however you need to do business with God, we want you to do that. Let's pray.